Hello friends, I'm Dulce Sloan and welcome to That Black Ass Show. This week we're talking about the Netflix series Dear White People with the director, creator, and producer of the show, Justin Simeon. If you don't know, Dear White People is the award-winning 2014 movie that was adapted into the critically acclaimed television series on Netflix in 2017. The movie and show follows a group of black students as they navigate their college years at a predominantly white Ivy League college, Winchester University. The show will return this year for its fourth and final season. Justin and I talked about how Twitter trolls filled the storylines, what it was like to act in his own show, and what we can expect from his new feature film, Bad Hair, being released by Hulu later this year. Justin joined me in a studio in Los Angeles while I was in New York City. All right, friends, enjoy the show. Thank you, Justin, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Oh, my God. Now, I did see the show was renewed for its fourth and final season. Justin, mm-hmm. why? Done. I mean, I guess they got to get out of college eventually. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, I was like, oh, my God, it's renewed for a fourth and final season. And then, like, you know what? They do have to graduate. They I have to, they, they have to graduate at some point. You know what I mean? Like This isn't a Saved by the Bell six years in high school situation. That's right. I'm, I'm pushing 36, 37. You know, I ain't been to college in a minute, so... Time to move on to some new stories. But I also feel like, you know, it's it's kind of what I love about it is that I can actually go into the season knowing it's the end and sort of finally, like, take us there, you know, um, mm. instead of just, like, extending it for potentially ever and, and coming up with weird reasons why these people are still in college. Grad like I, school. I fixed it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. We'll keep doing it. So they go to grad school and then you have to get – because I have a friend – Right, because, like, my sister's here in the studio. We went to college together. And one of our friends, I know I graduated in 2005 from college, if you want to calculate that. Um, oh, same. Although, right. graduated is interesting for me. I walked, but <laughs> at the time, oh, no. uh, I was shy a couple biology classes. It's fine. Oh, no, your girl got all the way out of Brunel University. Oh, congrats um, to you. And my school was so small, they said everyone's name at graduation. Yes, names. Um. Because my graduating class was 137 people. Oh. Um, but I went to it. a small private women's college in Gainesville, Georgia. Okay. Um, which means that I went to school for free. That's wow. right. Because all you the black girls could sit at the same lunch table. You definitely so, won. My freshman year, there was, what, 300 girls on campus, maybe. And all the black girls could sit at the same lunch table. So, will you give me very white university? Mm, I am... Very much aware. <laughs> very of the situation. Well versed in the white college, y'all about to act a fool in February situation. Because mm-hmm. they would act a fool every year in February. Just it in February? Ju- I mean, a lot of the times they would be okay, but something about February popping up they really made it. them act a donkey. Black now, History Month. Couldn't take it. I mean, just too much. It's like, girl, I can't have these conversations with you anymore. Why don't explain to these people why we vote Democrat? I'm like, you only vote Republican because <laughs> your dad still pays all your bills. Like, don't do this, girl. Anywho's, um, this is the first thing I wanted to say. I remember when the movie came out. And I remember all of these white people being very upset. <laughs> 
They're like, well, what's the name of this? Da, 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 da. And I also have had, I also had a white boy corner me in a bar and have a 30 minute conversation with me about how the name of the show Blackish was racist. And I was like, sir. that That's the craziest one. <laughs> listen. And then his friend was with him, an Asian dude. And after about 20 minutes, the Asian dude's like, hey, she's black. Listen to her. And I was like, thank you, sir. And this is before we started saying the term ally. So I was like, thank you so much. He knew. Fellow POC. He knew. Because he just had to keep saying to him, but she's black. As little as <laughs> this Asian dude kept saying, but she's black. <laughs> you are not, sir. How are you offended by the term? He's like, you, you just seem to fit to black people. And he's like, but she's telling you. <laughs> it's not. She's black. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. You didn't even buy me a drink. Why am I here? Okay, I really, if he bought you a drink, I could see you giving him like, you know, five minutes. Girl, I could response. not get out. I was cor- I was I was cornered. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it was just and then he just kept going off. I was like, sir, I can't help you. Maybe you should get on the maybe you should Google this, right? So I do know that there were people that were like upset about the name of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like, they was mad. They were like, who was it were I mean, white people are gonna be upset because they feel like, you know, you're all attacking us, advice racism, because that's not how I mean, you can't I reverse just, something that only goes in one direction. And the other thing was, that was crazy about it is at the time, there was this other thing on the Internet. Because, you know, Dear White People, uh, when I was writing the script, I had a Twitter account, like a at Dear White People Twitter account. And I was sort of right. like testing out jokes and, and just seeing like how people would react to the title. And that reaction really like helped me kind of write it because like I wrote that into the script and uh, like how white people were responding to you know Sam White you know the lead character's radio show within the world of the of the movie and the show is called Dear White People and so a lot of those right. reactions I got from real life um, but the crazy thing is that there was like an almost identical sort of internet phenomenon called stuff white people like but it was written by a white guy and yes. nobody had any issue whatsoever with that and so for me what it felt like it was it was just sort of like I think people were aghast at a black person sort of, you know, calling attention to race, which is crazy. But I think especially at that time, especially in like 2013, which is when I was really putting that that project together for the first time, like mm-hmm. it was sort of like people wanted to live in that Obama bubble of like, well, there's a black president. So racism is over. And it felt like if you even just sort of mentioned that racism was definitely not over, white people just kind of lost their minds a little bit and just couldn't take that reality. At least that's what I experienced. Um, oh, it was wild. Because, like, I remember when Obama got elected, me and my home, uh, me and my homegirl were literally dancing in the street. We were in Atlanta. <laughs> we were literally, we were, like, at this, like, kind of, like, mall, mixed-use kind of place. They said he got elected because we were at this place called Fox Sports Grill. Yes, Fox. And <laughs> we're at Fox Sports Grill, this place called Atlantic Station in Atlanta. And he got elected and everybody just ran outside. Like all, There was just a bunch of people in this weird little town street mall place. Um, it puts you in the mind of like a Glendale Galleria where you're mm-hmm. like, am I in a mall? Is this a city? What the fuck <laughs> is this? That's what Atlantic Station is. And so we're out there, and, all, and we're all, like, screaming and yelling and everything. And we're all hugging, and then this black dude starts going, hug the white people. <laughs> we didn't get them elected by ourselves. Hug. Because there's white people standing there like, hi. What hi. about and us? Like, and I literally said to one girl, give us a second. Give us a second. We have to celebrate amongst each other, and then we'll come hug you. But just give us a She's like, and she just goes, okay. Because she, she was just like. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is this is a victory for you guys right now. So I was like, "We'll hug you, but can we just just give us this moment? Y'all can't be included. Just give us two seconds." 
And the dude was like, and, we hug, and the guy was like, hug the white people. You're like, you're right, you're right. And I was like, we did it, we did it. But every time they kept going post-racial society, post-racial, and I was just like, no, just because a black man got elected doesn't stop institutional racism. Like, all the no. laws didn't stop. They and in fact, in, a, in some ways, it aggravated the situation, as we we now know. Oh, I, I, at least I, I hope we know. I've been saying to everybody that Trump is revenge for Obama. Hell yeah. Of course he is. Whether people realize that or not, or even realize that that's part of the motivation of, of them voting for him. Like, it's so clearly that that's what, what this is. Well, and the fact that Obama won, like... Trump won by the same margin in Pennsylvania that Obama did. Damn. That pendulum swing is shit. It's swift. It's because, I mean, they said Pennsylvania was a swing state. And I was like, okay. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, this is like a carnival swing. Yeah. Like, y'all. <laughs> Swings y'all are supposed to be fun. all the way over to the left field of this fucking, like, this is wild. But also, I've seen more rebel flags in Pennsylvania than I've seen in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other thing. So, I it's very interesting because at that time, because I remember that book, Stuff White People Like. Mm-hmm. And they were like, sushi, dogs, telling other people, telling people of color about their own culture, which I was like, yes, all of this is accurate. Yeah. But everybody loved it and a white dude wrote it. So, for you to go, hey... Cause you think it aggravated people that you were still trying to say, "Hey, there's still racism in America," and people and white people were like, "There's a black president. We fixed it." Like I think that's what everyone was doing. I think that's what everyone was doing. And, but you know, it was a double-edged sword because the movie was one round of it, but then when the show came out, there was like another round of it, and I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" Because like, this we already went through this in 2014. We're now in 2017 putting out the show. Like, what what are y'all talking about? Like, we already did this, and then come to find out that like that was the beginning wave of like the trolls taking over Twitter and like all these automated accounts, and so they were sort of I, there was like this this feeling like like they were using kind of the fake outrage over the title of the show to kind of galvanize people. And this was all like leading up to, you know, Trumpism, but none of us knew mm. that that's what was happening at the time. So it was like, mm. it was it was like a one-two punch. It was crazy. But, you know, for me, it was, it was interesting because like it is the kind of thing that I'm commenting on, you know. That's why the show can be so absurd because like what we're talking about is so crazy and absurd. If you just look at it like a sane person, the situation is crazy. And all of those reactions, all of the white tears, all of it actually became inspiration for, you know, future seasons of the show. And we would just write this stuff back into the show. So for people who are really paying attention, you know, uh, the show begins to comment on his, on itself at a certain point because just people's reactions were just so patently absurd. Because there's one episode, because I see you, like, parallel that in the show. So, like, Sam had an issue with the troll in season two, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so for your, for the people that don't know or haven't seen the show, can you kind of explain, like, how you were able to take, like, this real-life experience and reflect that in the show? Yeah, so, you know, the the question of, like, is something called Dear White People Racist is actually very central to the concept of the film and the series. Uh, Samantha White is a student activist filmmaker, and she has this podcast college radio show called Dear White People. And so the way people react to that show often mirrors the way people react to our show. And um, in season one, uh, when we first came out, 
again, there was just like just this crazy uptick in angry white people. I mean, they were flooding our Rotten Tomatoes and our IMDb pages and they were in all the comment sections and they were they were just going crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, like, are there really this many people mad at us? And then sort of like by the next year, we realized that a lot of it had to do with these these sort of like automatic troll farms. And there were these people who were kind of secretly and quietly putting black people on Twitter and in different parts of the Internet on these lists that would then, you know, uh, flag them to, for attack, basically, over various issues I don't, online. OK, I don't. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. But like as someone who is one, I don't understand how Twitter works. I don't get it. Don't get it. I've never gotten it because basically when Twitter started and Instagram started, it was just like, oh, they just broke Facebook into two pieces. <laughs> pretty much. That's Twitter's pretty just much a what bunch of updates and then Instagram's the pictures. Um, and, and Twitter became a complaint box, like a live yeah, complaint box. It became a big complaint box. And it's just like, because that's why I still fuck with Instagram so heavy because I'm just like, you know what? I'm glad she had a nice sandwich today at the beach. Me too. Twitter is still... Like, Instagram is still, look at my dog. Look at my cat. Hey, I painted my deck. Like, that's what Here's Instagram Here's an inspirational quote is. I came up with. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Which I'm sorry? I love, the, I love my favorite thing on Instagram are, like, when people just write things that seem like inspirational quotes, but it's just something that they wrote. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that they're feeling. Like, I, I love it. I feel like Instagram is very go me. <laughs> yeah, Instagram's like, go me, go you, hey girl, hair video. Like, this is... Well, but then it's like, but so I don't understand because there had to be people that were legitimately mad for these troll farms and everybody to pop up. Yeah. So do you think it was genuine outrage or it was just like misplaced? Like the guy who's trying to tell me that Blackish was right, ra- like the name of the show was racist. I think, it, think was it was both. It was a mix of both. Like there were some people who were legitimately outraged. But then what I realized is that as I, as I started to kind of, because I really, I kind of did a rabbit hole into some of these communities. Uh, mm. And I started reading the things that they were saying about the show. And I realized so much of it was bad faith arguments. Like people who, like you could tell by the way they were writing about the show that they knew that they were being ridiculous, but that mm. their audience wouldn't know. And that they would just sort of take what they were saying at, at face value. I ran into that all over the pl- all over the place, and I realized, oh, they're using this as like an issue, like a wedge issue. They're trying to, you know, get people upset. And then, of course, like, um, you know, later when we sort of found out about Russian involvement and all this kind of stuff, you realize, in fact, that there were people who were just looking for these hot button issues in social media to sort of create uh, and manufacture outrage around, and. But we that's what to, I don't understand. Like, why is that something you're doing? Like, go get a job. Because it like, works. You, that's the crazy thing. It works. It gets people, it gets crazy people elected into office. <laughs> because I never understood, like, all, the whole point of, like, that whole outright, like, just winding people up. So do you get, like, direct inspiration from fans on social media? Like, when you're coming up with, like, plot lines and stuff for the show, like, it's stuff on social... Do you have, like, this is exactly... Because people don't... I mean, a lot of people don't know how television is created. Because, like, mm. I remember there was, like, an episode... There was a season of Empire where everyone was talking about where they weren't um, utilizing Gabby, Gabby Sidibe a mm. lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was like, if she wasn't a plus-size woman, then... that. And I was like, they filmed this six months ago. <laughs> she might have been busy. Like, we don't she know. She might have been busy. It wasn't that... Oh, I guess the fans aren't reacting to her. I was like, no, people don't realize that television 
It's filmed six months a year out before it even gets on TV. Oh, yeah. They think it's real time. And Netflix is even, the window is even crazier for a Netflix show because the stuff all comes out at once. So we have to like, you know, something like Empire, while it's shooting, there's an overlap between the writing, the shooting, and the airing. And for a Netflix show, there's really no overlap. Like the thing is done and then months pass and then it comes out. Um, But sometimes, I'll be honest with you, for my mental health... I'm barely on Twitter anymore. I just feel like it, it can get so toxic and corrosive. And I know that there's this appetite on Twitter to uncover the truth and to, you know, get to the bottom of things. But I think in so many ways it gets misplaced and misused. And that becomes, again, that is something we examine on the show. But, like, I, I used to really mine, you know, social media for just a sense of what the conversation was, you know, so that I could mm-hmm. be reflecting it accurately. But I just find it to be so crazy that I... I can't do it like that anymore. I just can't do it. Well, I also feel like that it's not actually reflecting what the culture is. I have, I not feel anymore. Like, not anymore. No, I feel like people just get on Twitter to see what the argument, what are we arguing about today? And then yes, we I all do. hop on Instagram and go, ooh, Look at chickens. Me. So, like, no one, <laughs> I don't think, and then no one's on really, I, I don't know any of my friends who are really on Facebook unless they're, like, promoting a show. Yeah. Because, like, I think we all, like, abandoned Facebook as just this ghost ship because it was just, like, I am tired of arguing with other people's relatives. I'm definitely done with that. On I'm, a t- I'm, tired of, I'm tired of arguing with my own relatives. <laughs> like, right. I see no like, purpose in any of it. Like, but my I'm on Instagram. like, oh, your hair, like, oh, you, you think you should be, auntie. First of all, we're not even technically related. Second, <laughs> um, I've been calling you a T because you and my mama are friends, but I don't even know how tight y'all are anymore. So I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> all right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back. Hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Let's get back into it. It's very interesting because it's just like there's this whole group of, I mean, there's a whole generation of people. Because, like, I remember getting my first email. I remember when Black Planet started. Like, oh, I remember when, come oh, like, on, MySpace. Black Planet. Come on, Black Planet. Come on, Tom. I saw something the other day that was like, Tom was just trying to teach us how to code, and we didn't appreciate him. Because <laughs> remember that glitter back, all you, all the shit you had to go through to get that glitter background? I do. The, MySpace like, was like, it, was, it, was, it took time. It you took put a- time. But you know what? I was going to have this glitter hello. I was going to get my name. And yes, I had the accent mark because we were low-key learning how to code. <laughs> and we just abandoned Tom. We abandoned him. And then Black Planet, uh, who knew? Do you know Black Planet still up? I logged into my account the other day. It I took a while for me to give him a fucking password. Didn't Solange like, put something on? Like she, like she did her album release there or something like that, right? At Black Planet headquarters? (laughs) Like on their website. Like I think, I'm pretty sure she did like a promotional thing with their website for her last album. Mm, Because I was on Black Planet and I was on Mi Gente. Because if you weren't on Black Planet and Mi Gente. Okay, I wasn't on Mi Gente. Oh, and then there was Asian Avenue too. We were on all three of them. We were not playing. I was not on Asian Avenue or Mi Gente. Listen, Mi Gente, it was was fine on Mi Gente. Okay. But. I was a very diverse school, so if you weren't on all three, you didn't have friends on all three, you fucked it up. I think all the black people on Asian Avenue were all my friends from high school. Oh, my God. I'm sure people are like, what are these black people doing here? What the fuck is this about? White dudes would be on well, You know, there's always some sneaky white dude trying to get in somewhere like, hey, what are you colors doing? Sorry. <laughs> get out of here. That's now, the status you, Okay, now I do want to talk about, because this is amazing. Yvette Lee Bowser, who was the creator of Living Single, mm-hmm. ah, 
was brought on as your showrunner. Now, first off, can you explain to everybody what a showrunner is? Yeah, I, well, it's different on every show, but okay. um, typically the showrunner is the person who basically organizes and manages the process of, of writing the show and producing the show. So, okay. um, you know, the the writer's room conversation, assigning scripts to writers, um, you know, sometimes showrunners write on the show too. Uh, they, they sort of have a hand in like hiring all the different department heads and literally keep the show running. <laughs> is, is how do we idea. not know more about this position? What's like, that? How do we... Because people know, like, the producer or the director or the head writer. But, like, the showrunner is, like, the connective tissue for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do they not true. have a guild? Do they not have what's their what's, what's their award? What's their SAG awards or you know like? Well, typically the showrunner is like you know typically the showrunner is basically the other w- word for it is head writer sometimes. So you know if you mm. if you're a TV writer, uh, showrunning is like the the top of the field. You know so typically uh, in TV uh, the higher up you go uh, in, in writing you start as a staff writer but then you get promoted you know you see like executive producer or co- co-EP or you, know, you start seeing pro- a lot of producer credits on TV shows those are typically writers who um, have earned those titles because they've been writing on the show for a number of years or you know whatever uh, that, that's kind of um. how you move up you move all the way up to showrunner uh, that's sort of the goal for a lot of TV writers and um, for me it was like my first TV show I kind of snuck in the back you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't play right. the game the right way, but because of the the movie was so, you was, was just was blessed, a- friend. It's not about playing the game the right way. You <laughs> was just blessed, friend. You jumped to the front of the line. So basically, you had clear and pre-check for this whole process. I, I did. I had TSA uh, pre-check uh, just for this process, though. No other <laughs> aspects of my Hollywood career uh, have I been able to skip a line. But in this instance, it was amazing because um, you know I'm a writer director, so. I, I couldn't just like create the show and then just sort of hire a staff and, and walk away. Like I had to put my hands in the clay, but I had never, you know, done a TV show before. And so um, I was able, I met Yvette and uh, we really got along and clicked. And, um, you know, she taught me the ropes of, of how to do it, how to actually like run a show. And uh, and it, it was it was crazy. It, it is a crazy job, but it's it's amazing, too. And it was so awesome just to learn from her. That is so. That's great to have like someone who's been in the field and is like, like. That's so great because like, what are the? Well, I do want to say for one second, Solange did launch a new website through Black Planet. Um, okay, I thought I thought I remembered that right. It's like yeah, she put it on her web like this was like last year, like February of last year, and it was like, find me on Black Planet, blackplanet dot com, backslash Solange backslash. Uh, this is wild. <laughs> this is wild. I don't know if they call her. She was just like, you know what? I'm going to save Black Planet. I don't know, um, but she did it. It looks like she did. People got back on it. I don't know. Um, so, what was one of the what was the biggest lesson that you learned from Yvette with being with her being your showrunner? Mm, you know, it's funny. She she uh, one of the one of the main things she she wanted to instill in me from the beginning is to make sure that I was putting myself in the show. Um, mm. When we first started doing the series, the idea was to cast everybody from the movie. Uh, right. But Tyler James Williams, who played Lionel in the film, was only like semi-available for the TV show. He had already he was already a series regular on another show, and so the way that's that the works. Kid, is, was, that's the one who. Pl- I'm sorry to interrupt. That's the uh, guy from 
everybody hates Chris, right? Yeah, exactly. And, Just remember. And the way okay. TV works, if you're a series regular on one show, you likely can't be a series regular on another show. And so right. um, we were only going to be able to have him for a few episodes if we were going to cast everybody from the movie. And uh, eventually, like, Tessa blew up and Tiana Paris blew up. But uh, we were still trying to cast Tyler. And um, basically... The idea was that I was going to have Lionel on the show for like the first five episodes, but then uh, he would leave the show. Like he would either get transferred or something would happen. You know, I was sort of coming up with this dramatic way of of, of this lovable character leaving. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, she was like, "I don't think you should do that because Lionel is you. Like Lionel is sort of like your fingerprint." Uh, on the mm. show and if you get rid of him you sort of are taking yourself out of your own narrative and um, that was really some of the best advice she ever gave me because time and time again Lionel and Sam and all the other characters but really Lionel is sort of like a way to kind of put my shit directly into the show um, and in a lot of ways the show becomes like a diary of where I'm what's just what's going on for me at that particular time in my life and Ooh. a lot of it is because you know Lionel is there and and, and to see how much Lionel has meant to the culture, specifically, you know, uh, black gay culture, um, yes. of which there are very few characters out there uh, to speak to, um, has probably been one of the most gratifying, gratifying parts of, of what I get to do is is talking to people who's like, wow, like I finally there's a character on TV who like reflects what I'm going through. Um, so that was that was some of the best advice she ever gave me. Well, like I see Lionel because I think when everyone thinks like. Uh, gay character, gay black character, they have a very specific type of character in mind. Yeah, they're like they're where, like a fabulous unicorn. <laughs> right, like a fabulous killer, like, like, yes, girl, twerk, twerk, yes, duck walk, yes, yes. Yes, yes, like, gaga. Like, they get the party started, like, they know all the lyrics, like, they're there. But if they li- came to turn the party, he has money, you've never seen him work. Like, it's just this whole, <laughs> it's this whole, like, it's, Face beat for the gods, which right, just, just which like, I, you know, just living for the gods, just you know, here to help the children. Just that very specific type of outlandish character. Do you think that that character gets put in because there isn't actually? It's like when you see black people, like when you read a script and you're just like, oh, they've never met a black person before. Well, it's it's part of that. I, I, there are people like that, but I always, you know, oh yeah, I'm friends with them. <laughs> Yeah, same, by the way. And they're some of my favorite people on this planet. And there are characters like that in the show, too. But yes. I'm not like that. I, I, I always wished I could be like that. You know, like, I, my awkward ass, like, I'm the one who, like, never had the right shoes and whose mom took them to the wrong place to get their hair cut. And I didn't know the right way to wear this. I didn't know what music to live. That was my black gay experience. It was very awkward and mm. weird. And I felt like I wasn't welcome in any communities. And, and I just felt like... I just feel like this is the more human version of this character. And and again, like, I've never seen him, you know? Like, mm. growing up in, in the South, gay, black, Catholic, like, part of why I felt You're so... Catholic? What? <laughs> I know all the things. I, I part of I'm why, from the South. A Catholic? I know, what? girl. They really did it to me. Um, well, did but, you get your ashes on Ash Wednesday and come to school and no one had an idea what the hell was happening with you right now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, there are some black Catholics in the South. But Oh, I know. I went to school with them and they would come to school on Ash yeah. Wednesday and everyone would go. Because, like, all the Latino kids knew exactly what was happening. They knew they what was going on. Too. Yeah. No, but, black people were, like, very confused. Black people were like, what, what happened? What? 
And like when Who friends is? would like come to mass with me and stuff, they were extremely confused and concerned about what was happening with me on Sundays. But like, well, look, one, you weren't in church long enough. Two, yeah, <laughs> people didn't really sing that loud. I mean, it was like it was very solemn compared to other black services. But... Like you telling me you only go be in church at one and a half out. Jesus ain't even warmed up yet. What you mean you only in church for an hour and a half? And then y'all all drink it out the same cup? Uh-huh, oh, with the, with the little no. wafers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My I was Catholic whole, boots, but like... That same camp, that same cup, that's what took my mother out. She's like, mm, I can't. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they had the same cup with a little cloth, and they would wipe the cloth. And so now you're fine. No coronavirus for you. Girl, these uh, Protestants then got so specific. When you do communion, right... It's a little kit now. Oh. So, because before they would hand out the tray, because they would still give you the basket so you could take the bread, right? Okay. So now it's just a little tiny wafer about the size of a nickel. Mm-hmm. So before it was just in a big basket, and then they would give you the juice in a little, because, uh, you know, uh, Protestants don't drink wine. Yeah, they do the juice. The little great, little so, Welches. Mm-hmm. Of course, it'd be Welches. Mm-hmm. And so they would pass out the tray, but everyone got to be real careful because we've got... There's like 40 little cups of juice yes, on the in tray. this tray, mm-hmm. and you're passing it down the row. Now what they do— people would dunk them. Right, just dump them. Right. Now the campaign is it's a whole little kit. Oh. So there is the cup of juice, there's a foil top, and then the wafer sits on top of that what? with a piece of plastic. So because you take the bread, and then you, you take the body, and then you take the blood net. So you peel the plastic back, you do the wafer— then you peel the foil back and you do the juice and no one has to touch anything. Okay. And all you do is just put, and then they'll pass the basket around and you drop the little cup in there. Well, that's more sanitary. I will give them that. Oh, these these uh, these evangelicals have really revolutionized <laughs> the taking of the communion. Now, you're talking about how this, that character reflected you, but in season three, you actually... Do step in front of the camera. How did that happen? Oh my gosh, I did do that. That's crazy. I'm crazy. Um, mm-hmm. It really came from. It really came from a moment with me and Tyler Perry because uh, he and I had a conversation. And you know, if you watch the film, especially, you might get the idea that I hate Tyler Perry because Sam, the character of Sam, yeah. is not a fan. And I was just telling him, I was like, "Look, here's the thing. I I think a lot of times, like especially in my early career." I aimed a lot of my frustration with the industry not making space for the kind of content I wanted to make at you because you Mm. were making content that was different than what I wanted to make or what spoke to me. But now that I'm in the ring making content that speaks to me, I get the same kind of stuff. Like, you know, I I get the same thing. Like, black, you know, I get dear white people isn't black enough or it's not gay enough or it's too black or what. I get the same thing. So I'm like, I have a lot of respect for you because you you are actually like giving your audience exactly what they want. They they come every time. You feed them. You you deliver them what they expect. And you've created careers for lots of black people. Uh, You've made black millionaires. And like, I just want you to know that I really respect what you do. And if you ever have the time i would love for you as tyler perry to come on the show so that you and sam can have this conversation and he got busy he wasn't able to do it but we still wanted to do the storyline and so i felt like because you know the show is really shady dear white people is extremely shady and shade and we love shade in all directions to people in real life and it has definitely gotten me into some interesting conversations
auditions at uh, <laughs> certain functions. But mm. with Tyler, I didn't want it to come across as shade or as like parody. So I I kept reading it in the writers' room, like because we do like little table reads and stuff. And I kept uh, I kept Jerry Skyler is who we named him. I kept reading for Jerry Skyler, and right. um, it just sort of. Everyone literally just looked at me at one point and was like, it should just be you. Because if mm. it's you, like, you can make sure it doesn't come off like parody. Um, you can, you know, right. I kind of played Jerry Schuyler like a version of myself. And, you know, I wanted it to be a sincere sort of statement about how I feel about him and his art. And I didn't want it to, to just be shady. So that's that's how it ended up happening. And, um, you know, I got my start uh, in theater school Mm, and I love it. I love acting. I just like I never really wanted to try to be a Hollywood actor because I don't I don't have the mental fortitude for that. But like I I just really enjoyed the process and, and people were with it. So, yeah, I just stepped in and had some fun. So Jerry Schuyler plays. So it's Jerry Schuyler doing Mr. Griggins. And that's the that's the Medea type of character, because it, it is interesting because I'm from. Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. So, uh, of course, I've been on a Tyler Perry show. Uh, I was an extra on an episode of Meet the Browns, which apparently, I did not, I think the show is still in reruns because every like year and a half, some random person I went to high school with would be like, Was that you on Meet the Browns? It's like, <laughs> Yep. That was me. That um, was you. And what was so great is that I got, when Tyler Perry came to The Daily Show, I got to talk to him and tell him that I was an extra on one of his shows. And he looked at me like, are you serious? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, in 2010, I was an extra on an episode of Meet the Browns. And he was like, oh, my God. Because like, cause the thing is, if you're from Atlanta, when Tyler Perry showed up, if anybody was a little bit of an actor, oh yeah, I cannot tell you the number of aunties that said to me, girl, you should send Tyler Perry your resume. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I never thought of that. Thank you, ma'am. Because... <laughs> Because eventually I just went to some woman who, I'm not aware of this Tyler Perry individual you speak of. <laughs> well, right? Tyler what? Tyler What Perry? has he done? Is that with an I or an E? Like I'm just <laughs> being a jackass. But at one point this woman was just really laying into me. I said, ma'am, not only have I been an extra on his show, I know who his casting director is. There we go. So I've got this fully covered. It's like, I mean, I was just trying to help. And I said, and thank you and your help. I took it from the 17 other aunties that told me to do the same. <laughs> but my mother would take me to his stuff. Like I remember he did a... Uh, he did a book signing in the Walmart on Glenwood. This man, I didn't realize how tall this man was. I'm 5'4". He was sitting down. We're eye to eye. So, <laughs> 72 feet tall. We went to go see uh, Medea Goes to Jail. Okay. Now, I had never heard of Tyler Perry until like maybe like a year before I did the extra work for him. Mm -hmm. But a girl I was friends with had VHS. Well, she had like DVDs. Yes, of the plays. Of all of the plays. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I remember seeing them and I was just like, oh, I know what this is. Because we would call them, like, they're, they're it's the, um, my family would call them the Mama Why We Still on Welfare plays. Okay, wow. I have, we had Mama on the Couch plays was our word for it in Houston. Yeah, Mama on the Couch plays or the Church plays. Because there's a difference between those plays and the Church plays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because... Um, the church plays were a little bit more secular. But I read an article recently, and they're just like, you know how the people talk about the theater industry is dying? Mm. Black people are the ones who are still going wow, to see theater. I believe that. I definitely but believe that. We're, we are, but we're going to see our theater. Right. We're not going to Broadway. We're going to a St. Louis Civic Center. Correct. 
<laughs> or Jackson, Mississippi Civic Center. Or somebody's Civic Center in a black ass city. There's a Civic Center in every black city. There's a Civic Center in every black city because uh, Tyler Perry and Cat Williams need somewhere to perform. Mm-hmm. So, and just shout out to Cat Williams. Jack Williams was the highest paid touring comic. What? Who had never been on Comedy Central. Who had never been on Comedy Central. That's He was crazy. selling out Civic Centers in black ass cities. That's amazing. And and mainstream America had no idea who the hell he was. Wow. How but think about Earthquake. Earthquake's been touring as long as I've been alive. White people don't know who Earthquake is. They don't. Because they don't. Because people don't realize we have our we ha- we literally have our own country, <laughs> our own source of our literally our own source of media that exists within this country. Because being in Atlanta and being college educated and seeing who went to go see Tyler Perry shows and who didn't. I can understand how it's the Otis's because it wasn't even that it was it's not that it was cooning. It wasn't shucking and jiving. It was. This is not presenting. This is not showing black people in a positive light to other black people. Yes. Yeah, but when I not, went to go. It's not really concerned went, with like identity politics. Like it's it's about yes. creating kind of like a concert experience. Right. And so that concept of identity politics and like, you know, and respectability and all that other foolishness. It's sometimes I think we always forget. Like, it's like the Spike Lee, Tyler Perry kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Where it's like you were either a college educated, ba da 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 da, uppity, you know, considered uppity, you know, upper middle class, ba da 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 da, Spike Lee Negro. Or you're the lemon pepper wing, Tyler Perry Negro. Like this, and we could all expect. That's wrong. Everybody knows lemon pepper wings are good. I apologize for the inconvenience. That made me hungry. I love a lip. I mean, if you're ever in Atlanta, I you have to go love, to American Deli and get a hot lemon pepper wet. I love a lemon pepper wing. But have you ever had a hot lemon pepper wing? I don't think I have. I'm ready though. Listen, I, I I'm so tired. Of t- you're from the South. Have you not ever had a hot lemon? Wait, where are you from in the South? I'm from Houston. I'm from Wait, Houston. No, Houston do wings, sir. They do wings. I, I just never had I a hot foul. lemon pepper wig. <laughs> Maybe it's a real Atlanta shit because Atlanta was like, I want a hot wing, but I want lemon pepper. I'm not sure. I'm, they probably like, got it somewhere, but you know, I don't know. Please get into that. But I think it. Have you had a Have you had a fried uh, boudin ball? I want to. There we go. There we go. Yeah. That's what you don't know about. That's amazing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I had boudin. Boudin is good, yeah, but they do, they do like, they, they like take the boudin stuffing out and then they put it in a ball and they fry it. And then you dunk that into like some spicy like mayonnaise. That's, or a that's ranch. delicious. Okay. Oh, it reminds me of like those fried Arancini. Is that what it is? A who? Like, a Aaron who? Okay. This is, so Italians, what they'll do is they'll take a ball of rice, mix okay. it with the cheese, roll that in some bread and then deep fry yes, it. Yes, yes. So, it's similar to that. Yeah. As long as we throwing up, as long as we are frying up stuff, so we gonna have a trade off. You'll bring the the hot lemon pepper wings. I'll bring the boudin balls. We'll trade. Oh, uh, and then we'll and then we'll go get Korean food and even it all out. Uh, perfect. Um, <laughs> love that. So wait, so I know that. So you have so have any like big black filmmakers? Because as you know, Tyler Perry, you've had a conversation with him about how about how he has kind of shape the culture on one side of blackness, but on the other side is the epitome of black director Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Have you, did you look up to him or did you, have you had any conversations 
with him about filmmaking? Yeah. I mean, I, of course I looked up to him. I read all his books, you know. I, I basically worshipped at his altar. Um, and we, he basically, he saw the movie, invited me to come talk to his class, which was cool. We had done a couple panels together. Um, mm-hmm. And then he threw shade at me in this article. What? <laughs> and so, Why is Spike Lee always throwing shade at people? I don't know. I don't know. But I was like, okay, I've had the complete Spike Lee experience. I still what love his, his movies and stuff, but, you know. I'm going to tell you one thing about Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry never talks shit, never throws shade. <laughs> Spike threw it, some, sh- yeah. Spike threw some real shade my way, but um, what did he say? Because he made like, was it like shade, shade, or was it like disparaging comments? It was, sh- it was shady. It was pretty shady. It was, it was mm. kind of a read. It was borderline a read. It was basically <gasps> like it was. He was promoting she's got to have it, the TV series, and somebody asked a question about me turning my movie into a TV series, and he took that on as an opportunity to kind of. Uh, disparage my work but um you know but i don't understand that doesn't uh see this is why and i don't want to say this why niggas can't have nothing so listen so like i don't understand because it's like there's so much space for like this is the like the conversation that i'll have with like white comics talking to like comics it's like comics of color where it's just like you know it just seems like the industry isn't really here for like white dudes anymore and i'm like first of all america's here for white dudes don't ever say that again yeah. i dare you disrespect the land that i love second um we're really there's so many platforms we really are making space because it's not like it's not like we have like four tv channels anymore and you can only go to these five studios to get something made right there's so many ways like you because you crowdsourced um on Indiegogo, you crowdsourced the movie of Dear Black People. I mean, Dear White People. Yeah. Like, oh, Dear Black People would be a hilarious white response. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny to me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. What if on campus there was a rival? We did <gasps> one. We did one. It's the last episode of season three. Oh, I haven't caught it yet. Hashtag okay, because a British baking show came out. And, you know, girl, I was just lost in literal sauce. Um, <laughs> in literal baking goods. Uh, but anyway... But that's so. I mean, look, it's fine. It's I, but like, it's a, it is fine. It but is fine. you're also a Morehouse man. I feel like he came up in an era where there really could only, could be, only one be one at a time. And I think you know, I don't know how the interviewer asked the question. You know, I don't know what he had to eat that day. Like, I don't know what was going on. Um, but you know, it is what it is. But it is a small community. Um, I've had many encouraging conversations with, you know, other black directors. And for the most part, I think everybody really is trying to have that community spirit and support each other. Um, certainly the folks that like came up around the same time, Barry Jenkins, Ryan Coogler, Dee Reese, Ava DuVernay, like, you know, we try to stay really close and, and support each other's mm-hmm. work and support each other's projects. And, you know, it's all good. It was that a weird thing where it's like you looked up to this man for so long and then you kind of like so like you looked up to Spike Lee and then you didn't have the greatest ideas or like, you know, for Tyler Perry and his work. And then come to find out the man that you really fucked with that was disparaging you and the one you didn't fuck with was trying to support you. Like, how was that? Was that like a weird mi- I don't want to say mind fuck, but for me, it would be. It was. And I and I and I and a lot of season three is me working through that very <laughs> that very specific mindfuck of just like, wow, this is not what I thought it would be. Um, but I got because to- now you got to give props to Tyler Perry, and then you got to find out can I low key toss shade <laughs> back at Spike Lee? <laughs> I mean, he's a tiny man; you could take him. 
I mean, no. I, ain't nobody trying to take Spike. I mean, the thing about Spike <laughs> is like, you know. He's got security. He, he, he has security. That's the know. thing about Spike. No, but I mean, the thing about him is that you can't ever really take away the legacy. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, no. you can never take away do the right thing. Like, you can never take away inside man. I mean, the man is legend. And, um, and to be honest with you, you know, like, Spike has a very specific media personality that I was already aware of when I met him. So it's right. not like I was flabbergasted that he threw shade, you know. Um, and I think you just kind of, I don't know. In, in a lot of ways, I wonder if it was like kind of like a big brother kind of, you know, I don't know, teasing his little brother kind of kind of vibe. And, and I just took it that way. And, you know, but I, I worked a lot of it out on the show, though. So if, you, if, you, if you're looking for clues, <laughs> it's definitely in season three. Oh, and I do love, I watch a lot of British murder mysteries, so I do love hunting down clues <laughs> and figuring things out. I mean, it has to be, it has to be such an interesting, that would be so crazy, because I've kind of had to, because I know with me and those two writers and directors, um, <laughs> it's been, because people are like, well, Spike Lee doesn't write women that great, and it's just like, but Tyler Perry kind of does write black women a little. I mean, it's is it it's like the other it's like the other side of a coin situation, or because I feel like a lot of times like there's a very specific way that Spike Lee writes women and black women. Well, you, you know, and then there's Tyler Perry, and I'm just like I'm not sure. Well, you know where I landed with it though. It, it was like the just the duality of it, like the fact that we mm-hmm. are we live in this kind of like Tyler Perry versus Spike Lee paradigm. Right. That by itself is what they want us to do, <laughs> because the truth is nobody is pitting like Spielberg against Scorsese. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody is arguing like who white, writes white women the best between two white men. Like there's pl- right. there's lots of white writer directors. Um, and and we accept that all of them are coming at at life from their particular angle, but but we also know with the Scorsese movie there won't be any women in it. Well, that's so true. So you really don't need. I saw the Irishman. That girl talked twice. <laughs> also, that movie was too long. It was very long. Nigga, I was like, who is this editor? Are they editing anything? I think this they did. Wild. I think it was probably much longer than that at first. Girl, you know it was. That was a fucking docu-series. This should have been on PBS. <laughs> fucking 12-part series about this man with this weird ass. Fucking, you could have just got a younger man. You could have just got a younger actor. You did not have to put this weird filter <laughs> on these people. You sound nuts. Well. So I, um, I do want to ask about, because we talked about, like, the fans and the, you know, the haters of the show. Because you've seen a lot of support and hate in the show. But, and I do think it's interesting. I think it's great that you were able to work out these feelings through your work because I feel like the reason that we feel pitted against each other, I don't think it's mainstream society doing it. I think it's within the black community because we're spending so much time going, how do they see us? How do they see us? How do we see this? But also, how do we see ourselves? Right. Because it's very much the pitting of, are you a college-educated, uppity Negro, lives in the middle class? Are you a hood-ass dude? Like, it's very, like, we also put those things on ourselves because the the pressure of being black enough and the idea of just black enough. Because yeah. I remember I grew up in the, in, in the, you know, in the suburbs, and I spoke, I speak very proper. And 
it's the, well, since you talk like that, you're not black enough. Right. Sweetheart, I'm employable, first and foremost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you t- the, the you talk white thing. The you talk white, which I always thought was an interesting concept. But I, I don't so, know. I still I still find a way to blame white people for this because it is. Oh, it's. The, oh, no, no, no. It's definitely <laughs> their fault because they have made being white the epitome of what people are supposed to be. So, of course, this is their fault. And also um, and also white media decides wh- who among the black artists, you know, it isn't it isn't Tyler Perry or Spike Lee's responsibility to tell all of our stories. The truth. No. The truth is, is that like the studio heads are the ones who decided it could only be these two people get a movie this year. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, they're still in control of the message and they get to decide who among us is is lift is exalted, you know, as a representative for our race. And so I do I do blame I do blame it <laughs> on but not what, all but white people, is, but just on, oh, you know, systemic racism. But what I think is so great is that black money and black interest and Tyler Perry's work. Black money got him to the point where white people would even look at him. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. And so I think because like when he opened that studio, like when I saw he opened that studio in Atlanta, because the thing is like that studio is on a Confederate army base. Mm, that's powerful. So it was a conf- Right. It was a Confederate army base that became Fort McPherson. So it's a Confederate army base that became a U.S. army base. And... They close, and they're actually very close. Like, it's not, because most army bases are in the middle of fucking nowhere. This is actually very close to the city. Wow. And so all I could think was, one, there must be soldiers just doing barrel rolls in their graves. <laughs> um, because now this black man is just stunting on your land. But also, it is a testament to when we are investing. And I think that's what makes people so frustrated with it, because it's just like, we put money in you and you're still not showing us the way that we want us to be shown. But it's kind of like, but the people that I know that love Tyler Perry are the people that are like characters in the movie. Like, yeah, it's who he's writing to. It's who he's writing to. So we can't be mad about that. So like. Um, we still, I think that, black artists still have the burden of representation, which white artists yes. don't have. No, they just get to be. They get to just create humans and be messy and do whatever with their with their work. They don't. They're not representing white people. They're representing humanity, and mm-hmm. we still have this burden of representation that dictates. Like, you know, when you, when you put out a black movie or a black show, like you're not just. It's not just evaluated on it's what it's saying or how good it is or whatever. It's also being evaluated on you know how many skin tones are being featured and and sort of like what politically is is needed for black people right now in the real world. And are you addressing that in some kind of way? And I'm not saying it's fair and not fair. It just it just is though. Like it's it's a different mm-hmm. criteria for for black artists, and it makes it it makes it harder because you know a lot of times when you finally get that big break and you finally get a chance to say something, it's surprising to see that some of the tomatoes being thrown at you are being thrown by your own people. <laughs> yeah, because you're reminding so them of you're reminding them of like they came to see your black thing, and it's yet another black thing where they don't get to see themselves in it, and it, it makes it you know I've been that audience member many times, so I, I get it, I get both sides of it, but um, it, it it is like an added layer of, of of black art that I think 
people probably don't even think about, you know? Like you said, people who sort of talk about TV shows and don't really know what it takes to make them, like, I think that's a part of it. You don't realize, like, oh, like, to get to that casting choice or, you know, the, the way that female character is written or whatever it may be, and I'm not making excuses, I'm just saying, like, the process mm-hmm. to get there is so crazy. You have no yes. idea. <laughs> people think that a show just comes on. It's just like, no, you don't know the, that my friend was in development for this yeah, show for four years. There are executives and, with opinions and studio heads and money issues and actors that don't work out. and I mean, it's all kind of stuff that goes on before you actually get to the thing that goes on the screen. I mean, very few black artists, very few uh, and very few artists in general in Hollywood, I would say, like have total control over the thing that actually mm-hmm. happens. You're limited by time and money and who said yes and, and under what conditions they said yes to you and all that kind of and stuff. And if they're still working there next year, because I've seen people get stuff greenlit or there's a merger. Yeah. Like, I oh, know yeah. one of my friends, there was a merger and they were writing a show and then their their network merged with another network and then while they were in the writer's room, somebody just called and was just like, well, you're canceled. Oh, my God. Yeah. While they were in the writer's room and, you know, a guy I know who was writing on the show, he was just like, yeah, I went to go get pretzels. And when I came back, I didn't have a job. <laughs> Damn. Uh, he got He's pretzels, like, I but he a lost snack his break. job. And I was like, yeah. No. So, yeah. So, there's like. That goes down all like, the time. We ha- all the time. All the time, people like the general public does not know the amount of work that goes into doing it. Because like I just did an independent film, and I was in Puerto Rico for like a month, and so it was amazing. (laughs) Uh, My skin looked great, my lips were full. Uh, I needed it. Um, But it was my first like big role in a movie. But it was just so much because it's like, but it was also was an independent film and it was a small film. It's like oh. So there's a financiers over there, or there's the EP right there. They're also in the movie. Like, I learned so much of, like, the bare bones of stuff. Because there wasn't, like, the financier was on set, like, watching dailies. Wow. To see. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, there's people who invested in the movie. Like, it was this whole process. Like, people just don't know. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. Hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Let's get back into it. So I do want to ask about, because, like, you were able to, like, work out this whole, like, um, like, the Tyler Perry, Spike Lee, like, all of that kind of situation in season three. So season four is the fourth and final season of the show. Yes, it is. It comes out this year. Like, what are the things that we can expect to see without, like, giving too much away? Oof. Okay, how can I talk about it without giving too much away? I'll say that we, um, you know, because every season of the show is a little bit different than the last. I mean, I call them volumes and not seasons, partly because each mm. each one kind of like functions in its own sort of way. Like the show sort of reboots a little bit each year. This year will be no different. And um, we're going for a really ambitious concept for it. Um, but a lot of it is going to deal with sort of what happens to people of color Uh, when we sort of, you know, our only way to sort of rise up in this country is to prove our market value. 
It's to get yes. a job at a certain level or to, uh, you know, start our careers or if we're artists, you know, claim a certain amount of box office or whatever it may be. Um, and we're sort of taught that that will bring about freedom. But it's kind of a different mm. form of slavery, I think. You know, we're sort of we're trying to get the most money for our black goods. And at least that's what I'm feeling right now in my life, uh, trying to navigate Hollywood and, and trying to tell these stories, mm. but also reach masses of audiences and, and you know, earn the, the money to basically make these things. And so these characters who are all going to be facing the real world uh, after college are having to think about how to translate their passions and, you know, the things that they've been running around campus dreaming about, how to translate that into something that's going to actually pay their rent and make, you know, the tuition of Winchester worth it when right. they graduate. And so um, that's definitely a, a big thing that's on the minds of, of all the characters this season. And, and this sort of idea of like, you know, can we be free by being successful? Because uh, I think that's like a big, that's an interesting American myth, especially for black people to kind of think about, you know, like when I make it, will I be free? Will I be happy? Uh, will I will I be able to move about society the way I think I will? Well, I can tell you as a black person who flies first class. Um, <laughs> it ain't what it used to be. Uh, well, I don't. I didn't start flying first class until probably like uh, I've done like maybe, like maybe like consistently probably like two years ago, um, and that is not even that consistently. But I do pay attention because I also get my flights early enough where it doesn't cost so much. But I was saying to somebody when it talks like the idea of making it or whatever, it's the one thing that I did notice is that if I'm flying to or out of Atlanta, mm. I never get dirty looks from white people if I'm in first class. Mm. Only if I'm flying to or from Atlanta. That's very interesting. And I any, I can attest to its accuracy else. as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can attest to the accuracy of that as well. Oh yeah, because it's like if you're like if you're leaving Atlanta and you're black sitting in first class, all these white people who are going to the economy are looking at you going Yep, that tracks. Yep. <laughs> Must be in music. Must be a they rapper. D- or an athlete or something. Or they're just success. Or it's just like, or it could be, oh, this is a, probably a black doctor. This is probably a black lawyer. Like, they just were like, oh, it's fine. Because, like, one time I was flying from LA, from Atlanta to LA, and it was me, and there was a black woman next to me. And then in the row in front of me, there was two. So it was just four of us all sitting together in first class. And there's all these white people coming on, and they all, you know, these girls have their makeup done, you know, lace fronts, hair wit, everything big. <laughs> and there was this one, like, 20 year old white girl that walked on the plane, and she was holding her own pillow, which I think is gross. Um, <laughs> and she just was stopping to go, Y'all are so pretty. You're so beautiful. And she's like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but it was interesting because anytime I'm flying in and out of any other city, it's a dirty look. Like, I think I was flying out of, like, Chicago, and there was me on one side, and then there was a woman in a hijab on the other side, mm. of, on the other side of the aisle. And so this white man gets on the plane, looks at me, and goes, ugh, and sees her and, like, ugh, and could not function. Oh, no. So there's my black ass in first class, and then on the other side of the aisle is a woman in a hijab. And then he scoffs and then continues to go into economy. Wow. So I just wanted to go, sorry, you wasted your whiteness. But I didn't have the time because I was too busy drinking my mimosa. You were busy. Um, you get busy in first this, class. 
I be busy. I got to wipe this down. I got to sit on. I got to make sure my seat actually reclines. Let me get into this little kit you've given mm-hmm. me. Mm, this lip balm's nice. I don't have time. Because, <laughs> like, one day, I don't know where I was. I think it was flying out of New York, and I just did a count. of. I counted, like, the most 17 people. Gave you the looks? It was just like, ugh, ugh. And I just went to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not going to count the number of people that give me a fucking dirty look. Oh, no, you can't. Because I'm sitting here. What I do pay attention to now is the number of black people that give me a dirty look. Oh, no. And it doesn't happen very often. Because a lot of times when they see me, it's like, what's up? What's up? And we're very happy about what's happening right now. But there are times where I've seen, and it's usually from other women, where it's just like, ugh. Like I want her to th- I want her to think that I'm a basketball player's girlfriend. That's what I want. I want her to think she's probably some athlete's girlfriend. Good. That's the goal. Give me the credit to think that I could pull a professional basketball player. Live that be in that hatred for me. Like, oh, she's probably some basketball player's girlfriend. Please hate me for that. Um so I do want to before you go, um, you have a new movie coming out called Bad Hair. Bad hair. Which it's great because when that movie good, I only watched the movie Good Hair because white people would not stop asking me about it. Because <laughs> like, have you seen it? I'm like, no, I lived it. I know how relaxers work. I got them for twenty fucking twenty five years. I got relaxers. I don't need a movie <laughs> to explain weaves to me, ma'am. <laughs> but so I had to watch it because you know white people wouldn't stop asking me about it. But bad hair, please tell us about this because you know that it's a sin of our people to not have your hair done. It's true. It's true. It's so the, the movie is a psychological thriller. Um, mm. It takes place in 1989 against the backdrop of the rise of New Jack Swing. Uh, and it centers on this, uh, this woman who is trying to make a name for herself in the world of music television. Like she wants to be a VJ. And basically Vanessa Williams. What happened to that job? What's that? What happened to that job? I know, I know. That's why it's nostalgic. I'm bringing it back. But, like, basically, 1989 was the year of the weave. Like, that was the year that weaves, like, kind of crossed over to, you know, public consumption. Like, people were getting them before then, but, like, that's when, like, it really became more widespread. And um, Mm. this woman, in order to get ahead at work, Vanessa Williams takes over the company where she's working, and she gets this weave, and it changes her career almost overnight. Um, but as it like improves her career, was her hair natural beforehand? Yeah, her hair is completely natural beforehand, and and Vanessa Williams' character comes in as is changing the studio and the look of everything, and she kind of pressures her. She feels this pressure to to get this hair, and um, as her job kind of flourishes in the day, you know the weave kind of it starts to build up a bit of a body count at night. <laughs> and so it's literally a movie about a killer weave. And it's also uh, that's it's, ins- funny. it's insane and. Uh, wow. It was. It got an amazing reaction out of Sundance, so I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for it to come. Now, out. did white people understand what was happening? Because people don't realize white people have been weaves for. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor kept a weave, kept the fall, kept the wig on. People act like like when people talk about like lace fronts. I was wearing lace, like Broadway shows. Lace fronts have been in the movie industry since the beginning of movies. Oh yeah. And now, like the lace front is something that's like you can go to any beauty. Now you can get a lace front with synthetic hair and a wig. But did the white people at Sundance really understand what was happening? Well, like with everything I do, um, not as deeply as the black people. But, you know, there's there's like always that. like a mix with it, both movies I've, I've brought to Sundance, where it's people who's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. 
Like there's that reaction, <laughs> and then there's people that are like, "Wow, you really said all of that in a movie." Got it. Mm. Okay, cool. This is what we're doing. <laughs> so like, it, it's it's a mix of those two people, which I kind of live for. I, I live for the lobby conversations um, that that transpire after things like this. So um, it was a crazy experience. Uh, we sold the movie to Hulu. And uh, they're going to be putting it out in theaters later this year, and eventually it'll be up on their service too. So Hulu, so now like Hulu and like Netflix, like oh yeah, because The Irishman was a Netflix movie that actually went to theaters. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now they're trying. So now they're like real production houses. Yeah, they're all like trying to play both sides of the field and figure out like you know how do you, how do you maximize the money between like putting a movie out in theaters and then having it available sooner to stream. Um, and and Hulu's mm. great, and they're they're so passionate. And you know, I made a very strange movie that I'm very passionate about and that I love, and it's it's very specific and you know props to them they really they really got the movie i made and and they're just so excited so you know hopefully you'll see it soon in the theater near you i'm excited to see it now we do have one segment on the show that i do with every guest called black ass confessions okay (laughs) and so this is where my black creatives and guests have to confess to the fact that they have not seen um a movie that is like integral to like I hope I said that word right I can't figure it out um, yeah you said to like the black experience so like I always tell people that I've never seen Bebe's Kids oh shit that's a good one but I also love telling people that I've never seen like my sister's in the studio she's looking at me like she's like what like her like if she could speak right now <laughs> she would have gone what what do you mean I've never seen Bebe's Kids but now I'm at the point in my life where I can't see Bebe's Kids right it's too late it's too late. It's too late. Robin Harris ain't even here no more. It, it, okay. Oh, shit. So, so what black like movie or TV show have you, or it could be like an album too. Like what's like a thing that's like huge in black culture that you have not seen? Wow. Okay. So this one, this one is um, very embarrassing because mm. I'm a black homosexual. So there's really no excuse for this, but... I have actually not ever seen Mahogany. Oh, I thought you were going to see Paris is Burning. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I see that movie every day when I close ah! my eyes. No, I thought you were going to say Paris seen... is Burning. And I'm like, sorry, to <laughs> you're going to be a straight by the end of this call. Um, yeah. No, I know the song from it, and I stand Diana Ross, uh, late 70s, but I, I've never seen Mahogany. You know what? I will also give a black-ass confession. I have yeah. never seen Mahogany. Wow. Okay, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I started this podcast. You know? Black people can tell me what the hell I need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have no excuse. But um, how can you? I've seen The Wiz about four or five billion times, so uh, maybe that makes up for it a little bit. I don't I know. I cannot. Oh, Billy! D- Wait, you saw Billy D. Williams is in this. Yes, it's like a major black film that is just absent from my cultural understanding. Oh my God, Tracy's overnight. Wow, I am really reading this. Oh, she's going to the. Fashion. I feel like I'm going to watch it tonight, though. This is like inspiring me to like. Damn, director was Barry Gordy. Up. Come on, girl. Yes, they were out here. Director was. They were out here. Barry Gordy. Damn, that is wild. Okay, because I have been shamed so many times for not seeing. Bebe's kids, the place that uh, one of our guests, Yamanika Saunders, was like, no, you coming to my house tonight and we are watching <laughs> Bebe's kids. I was like, I have, a sh- I have a show tonight. I can't. 
I saw Baby's Kids at a very inappropriately young age, but I have seen it. <laughs> well, not, like, I've <laughs> just seen, minute, like, like, little pieces. Like, I've just seen, like, online from it. I'm like, hey, man, I don't want to watch this movie. Because <laughs> even what I always say to me, because I've talked about this so many times on this podcast, but it's like the whole, we don't die, we multiply. And I'm like, I'm really good. Also, is that a commentary <laughs> on illegitimate children in the black community? I don't know what it that means. Like, I don't. I'm good. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll be fine. But okay. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Watch Mahogany first because I'm going to watch it. Okay. Tell me what you think. We have to watch Mahogany and then we have to hit each other up and go, oh, this movie is everything. Although I don't know if I could just handle the flight like this. Like Diana Ross moves like she has no air in her body. She does. She just floats. She kind of floats, but also her voice kind of does the same. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I just as a theater person, I'm like, I need you to be more grounded (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not trying to shit on Diana Ross it's just her performance style and it's just like <laughs> like her arms are not I feel like her arms are like connected to like like fishing like just Jim Henson controls her arms oh that's good like that's how I'm but also a huge Muppet but you know, so like just Lady Sings the Blues though she's everything in that movie have I seen that movie you gotta see that one. That she's that movie is she is fantastic in that movie. Absolutely fantastic. I know I have seen the Devil Wh- in a Blue Dress. I've seen that. Okay, yep. I know black people debate the whiz constantly, but I see what you're saying in, about that quality of her in the whiz. She has a very ethereal sort of issue there. Her arms in the whiz. She never put her arms down for the whole fucking movie. She had that blue blouse that just sort of wafts in the wind. The whole I love t- it. Also, <laughs> the whiz is the reason that I'm afraid of parking garages. <laughs> that is so real. That is so real. That is so so real. Cause the little man that like did the bouncy things and they get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. That shit was scary as hell. Yeah, it still wit- is scary as hell. I am thirty six years old, <laughs> and I will tell you that the whiz is the reason I'm afraid of a fucking parking garage. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, this pillar's gonna move. Some so they might are- move and electrocute you. Stop. I can't. I can't. I did not. I didn't need. I, like her can pull, like Eveline can pull. I, I couldn't give a fuck that Eveline went down that toilet, which I also thought was weird because I'm just like, why is there even a toilet out here? Like, what's going on right now? Like, yeah. I was very perplexed by that situation. No one knows to this day why her throne was a toilet, but I appreciate it. I, I mean, it was a great movie. way to get so. I'm like, you know, I'm melting. It's like, no, this bitch is trash. Like, <laughs> flush she's her. Flushed into the seat. <laughs> but that pillar's moving in that parking garage, girl. Woo! I have been done since a, I was like, first, I think I was too young when I saw that movie. Mm hmm. I was definitely too young. It but I also, but it was like, I saw it around the same age I saw Wizard of Oz for the first time. Oh, okay. See, I saw The Wiz first, so it completely messed me up. I had, I had no understanding of The Wizard of Oz for a long time. Real? That's funny. I was like, why are these people, why? I don't, this isn't the version that I grew up with. I didn't get it for a while. <laughs> now I get it, but yeah, I saw The Wiz first. That's I think so- The Wiz is the first thing I ever remember seeing, to be honest with you. Mmm. The first movie I ever saw, the first movie I ever remember seeing was All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh yeah! See, we're the same age, so yes. like, yeah, that was my jam too. I remember it was pouring down rain. My mama took us to the movie theater. And I remember watching this movie, and I'm just like, "Wait, so they died?" I played that VHS out. That Man, and Ghost Dad. I think that oh, Ghost Dad. Problematic fave. It's fine. Oh my god! When those white <laughs> people were like, "We're taking the windows. We're taking the pool." They're just joking, and they get back, and he's just like, "These motherfuckers." <laughs> they actually took the windows, which I thought was a hilarious concept. Okay. Now, before we go, I do want to know, um, is there any advice that you can offer to black creatives? Like, people are trying to 
Therapy. Get the, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, we as a people do need therapy. But the artists especially, because <laughs> let mm. me tell you something. Being a black artist in this world is the craziest thing you could do. So if you're doing it, it's, always, it's probably because you love it, which right. is great. But um, if you're crazy before you make it, you're going to be crazy after. I suggest starting therapy as soon as possible. I really do. It is a, and, and I'm not even joking about it. Like, it, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy industry. No matter mm. what your industry is, if you're a black artist, you're trying to make it, Find you a therapist that'll work pro bono if you ain't got no money. Go to Talkspace. Do something. Because um, I think a lot of times we're afraid that if we work out our shit, like, we won't have fuel for our art, but it's the other way around. We work out our shit. You have more to say. You have more energy to say it. And you'll have an outlet because now I can get out. That's so... That's interesting. The advice, when people ask me for advice for, like, creatives, I was doing Ron Funch's podcast. He's like, what advice can you give people? And I was like, I told people... I want people to stop using the phrase starving artist mm. because for me, people don't, people aren't hungry to death. They starve to death. Mm. So mm. why would I want something that is supposed to feed me? Why am I going to allow it to slowly kill me? Right. And so, and people hold on cause you know, I'm Southern. So in the words of my mama, people hold on to a poverty spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to struggle. This is always going to be hard. That's real. And I would tell people, first of all, sweetheart, look at this body. Starve? Mm-mm. I'm not the one. <laughs> Second, I'm Same. good. Right. I'm good at what I do. So why am I going to let the thing that I have decided to do since I was a child, the thing that makes me happy, and I have to, the whole goal of me is to create content and to create art and to give it to the masses, why am I let that shit kill me? No. I so I tell people quit because like even if you don't have any, if you're not even a religious person, if you believe, you know, saying positive things and speaking things into existence, if you're doing all this positive talking about your work and then when you interact with somebody you're like, yeah, you know, I'm a starving artist. You just negated everything you just said. Yeah, it's true. So that's what I want people to know. Now, I do have one last question before you go. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything yeah. you want people to know about dear white people? Like any misconception that they have? Are, they, are there something that you feel like got lost in translation or in communication? Like what's something that you really want people to know about either the show or the movie? Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. It's, it's one of the most watched uh, TV shows black or otherwise but certainly one of the most watched black tv shows in america um sometimes we get left off certain lists and things but i just want people to know oh so people watch it more than blackish and grownish and I'm how many know, issues I they got about, i don't know about all that i'm just saying a lot of people watch this show mm. and um you know the pressure is on us to deliver these fans a great four season right um so if you ain't caught up catch up because we're gonna give it to you we're gonna give it to you this year I do have to catch up. I have to catch up. Because, like, I like, I love looking at the cast, and I do see where people are coming from. It's like, you know, what black people are all different shades, and we're all different this, and we're all, we spend a lot of time saying, you know, what black people aren't a monolith. And so, because we don't have that many outlets, I feel like that's when all the pressure gets put on mm-hmm. black creators. We're just like, well, we finally got a chance. We got to do everything. I'm like, no. Yes, there are goth black people, but we don't have time to put them in here. Like, <laughs> yes, there That's might be the black people. That's the show I waited for. I waited for goth black people. 
Listen. I need it. Oh, my God. And when you see him, just like, sir, don't use that flattening iron. We could have helped you. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's black people that don't wash their legs. We've never met them. We're not sure if they exist. Um, have They're you just a rumor. Huh? They're just a rumor at this point. I mean, have you have you tackled the uh, white people not washing their legs phenomenon? You know what? Not on the show, but it's one of the most important issues of our time. So maybe on the next show. I mean, just someone. I don't know how we. I don't know how we research this. I don't know how we really. Because like we were talking about it one day at work, and people just seemed to be very confused. As to why we were asking them this question, like, do you wash your legs? Like, we just wa- like even at a show, we were just generally asking, like, I was asking some of my white friends, like, do you wash your legs? They're like, well, no, they just get clean in the shower. And I'm like, why do you? That's really funny. This has actually definitely come up in our writers' room a number of times. <laughs> Maybe we should tackle it. Yes, because I'm like, I tried to explain to my friend. I was like, this is not like trickle down economics, okay? Which we've all no, proven doesn't work. No, so you have to bend over and scrub the legs. Scrub your leg. I don't under because <laughs> Taylor Swift came out and said that she didn't wash her legs. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Okay, I thought that was just our room that it was obsessing. No, about. this is a whole thing on Twitter and Instagram. People were talking about it about white people not washing their legs. That is funny. And so That's many, funny. and there were so many people, white people going, "What? I don't understand what the problem is. You're just in the shower, the water rolls down. There's black people just going, no. <laughs> How dare you not take that washcloth <laughs> or that scroll that loofah." And then, because it's like, one of my friends like, I wash my feet. I said, hold on. You wash your whole torso, you skip your legs, and then wash your feet? <laughs> it never dawned upon you, maybe I should just, let me just lay this against my body on the journey down to my foot. You know, this is just going to be the concept for season four now. <laughs> I'm going to throw everything else out. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, this has to be tackled. Th- Ah, we have to tackle the real issues like, you know, institutional racism, redlining, these people not washing their damn legs. Those are uh, really season the only five, three. kissing dogs in the mouth. We're going to solve it. We're going <laughs> to fix it. I love it. We're going to change. We're going to make them better. We're going to make them stronger. Um, I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the show. I had a blast. Thank you for having me. Uh, this has been such an amazing experience. Thank you for finding the time to talk to us about a show that is really been like I can't tell you the number of times I've been on social media and I've seen black people and white people talking about this show and just seeing you know there's this little bit of controversy but people didn't shy away from it um everyone because everyone's trying to cancel everybody mm-hmm. so the fact that no one has been able to cancel you that's um, right we made it all four years of college. <laughs> All four years. Um, listen, and you just hope that everybody walks across that stage. Um, I'm very excited to see this movie, Bad Hair, because the killer weave is going to have a whole new meaning. Listen, it's yeah. something. I can't wait for you to see it. Ah, I'm so excited it. about it. Justin, thank you so much for coming. And thank guys, that has me. been that black ass show. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I want to thank Justin Simeon for joining me on the show and giving great advice for black creatives. And he gave us a taste of what we can expect for the final season of Dear White People. I am also looking forward to seeing his new movie, Bad Hair. I mean, a literal killer weave. Come on, y'all are here for that. I want to thank you guys for listening. Our creator and producer of the show is Judith Carbo. Our supervising producer is Rebecca Steinberg. Our music composer and supervisor is Brendan Solomon Lynch. Our audio engineer is Jessica Gutierrez. Our executive producer is Jason Smith, 
And I'm your host, Dulce Sloan. So join us next time on That Black Ass Show. Bye. Star Bands Audio, a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.